What a blessing, what a privilege to be gathered here worship our Lord. It's a blessing for me to be here this morning, a blessing to have the opportunity to share God's Word, something that's precious to me, and uh, want it to become more and more precious, and precious not only in how much attention I give to it, but what it does for me in my life and those I relate to. A beautiful thing the Lord has provided for us. This morning, the burden on my heart is related to homes and relationships in the home. Uh, just a couple of weeks back, I spent uh, a week in Guatemala and just doing a lot of teaching on that and just seeing the need there. And then this week I had an opportunity. Uh, we just bought property here this summer and uh, the son that's now married and living somewhere else from the people we bought the property, he'd come in touch with us and wanted me to do a little bit of carpentry work at his place. But uh, as we went to look at uh, the work there, I visited with him, and uh, I'm not sure if I asked him or if he offered, but the, as we go into right close to our place there, there's a field beautiful field, nice flat field, fertile field, and it was laying dormant and grown up in weeds. And I just had a question, what, what, what's behind this? But anyway, uh, this, uh, this man had grown up there and, and been, been away for a number of years now. But he told me, he said, the people lived on that farm, the, the husband and wife were having some difficulties relating and it ended up in a divorce. And so after this took place, this man had a, a daughter, I think he said she was 15, 15 or 16, somewhere in there, and this young man was showing up at his place. And it was a relationship, I think the mother no longer was there, the father was there, and the daughter. The relationship the father did not approve of at all. And so he tried to get the law involved and uh, he didn't give me a number, but he made numerous attempts for the law to do something about this young man. I think from understanding he had been involved with drugs and he was relating to his daughter in a way that this man did not approve of at all. And so he told the young man that if he doesn't stop showing up, he's going to deal with it himself. And so the father comes home and he sees the vehicle of this young man there. He goes in there and uh, uh, he finds the boy hiding in the closet. He goes down, gets his gun, goes up there and shoots him in the head. That's, that's all the further I know of the story. It'd be very interesting to know what became of the daughter. But brethren, what I see out there, this is maybe an extreme case, but what I see in society around us, Think about the home is, is chaos. It really is. And, and we're working with that. And, and I, over the years, working with people, counseling with them, and I realize so often the struggles that people have 
are still a result, maybe ongoing struggle for years are a result of homes that were at least somewhat dysfunctional. And then I look at homes that were not, homes that were godly homes, homes that things functioned as they were supposed to. And what a difference, an opportunity that that presented for those children growing up in those homes. And then moving on to, as you see, I have on this board here, I trust maybe it's not something used to, and I, I don't use it that often, but uh, sometimes I found it, and I found this very useful for myself to understand this. We have here what I call a headship ordinance, the teaching of 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 16. Uh, traditionally, as a Mennonite church, uh, conservative Mennonite church, we have taught, and Daniel Kaufman, some of you may have read the doctrines of the Bible, he teaches the seven ordinances, and he teaches the ordinance of the woman's covering or the headship veiling. And uh, I'd like to, this morning, in a humble way, say that that is not what is being taught in 1 Corinthians 11. It's included in that, but that is not the whole picture. And this morning, I think I was speaking to some people, for the most part, not everybody maybe, but some people that have been very well instructed and we understand and appreciate, and I 100% back up the teaching of woman's covering or the headship bailing. But I am concerned and it's a burden I have had, and I wish I would have had this teaching 30 years ago, but maybe if I would have, I wouldn't have understood it as I do now. And as I understand it now, I want to be honest with you, there's early on this week where I was struggling with, I did not feel worthy to teach this. I did not feel worthy that I, in the place that I'm supposed to be here, that I'm, I have done as I should have. So I want you to understand that as I teach this here this morning. But... I have here in this here relationship, and I think we'll soon move on to reading. I'm not going to read all 16 verses. I think I'm just going to read the first seven. And we want to look at some things here that, to me, have been revolutionary and have caused me to humble myself before God and realize the awesome responsibility I've been placed in in this headship ordinance. And I'd like for us this morning to understand that and then I would with the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit I trust we can we can understand just what God wants to teach us here so let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 I'm going to say before I read this that I see a key verse here is verse 7, and uh, I'll explain that then when we get to it. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 7. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise ye, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is a man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonoreth his head. 
And every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. For, But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Okay, so we have here, that I put it here in order he has. Now I added one here, and I put a scripture reference to that, because when we're thinking about the home, the children are not mentioned here. But in Ephesians 6, we have some clear teaching on how children should relate to parents and how fathers should relate to children. And so what we have here is we see that Paul is teaching the Corinthians here that that the head of Christ is God. And I put here rather than God Father because Christ is God also. God the Father is the head of Christ. Then it also teaches that Christ is the head of man. And in the, in the situation of the home, Christ is the head of the husband. Or Yeah, Christ is the head of the husband. He's also the head of the father in the home. Christ is the head of the father and the husband. Okay? And so uh, then the woman is the head, or the man is the head of the woman. The woman is to be under, or the, the head has the idea of, of uh, we'll look at the, the red there on this side, and the responsibility goes with that. And then, of course, uh, we would understand that women uh, have a responsibility also, shared responsibility with with their husbands as relating to, to the children and the, the training that goes on in the home. So what we have here, the focus here I have on top is relationship. And the relationship I have in red, you see the arrows going down. That's how the relationship is. The father is relating to Christ. And Christ is relating to the man or the, the husband and, and the father. And the man is relating to the woman and they both together are relating to the children. And on this side, in the green, we have how the relationship works the other way. The children need to relate in, in this side in a submissive uh, in a way of honoring, and there's a responsibility. We'll get to that a little later on both sides. The responsibility is different on this side than this side. And so... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into a little more details of that. I want to point out here where it, the scripture tells us that the man should not cover his head when he's praying or prophesying, when he's relating to God. When a man is relating to God, his head, his hair should be uncovered because he is representing the image and glory of God. Okay? These are some deep things, and I'm not sure if I can wrap my feeble mind around it completely, but there's some powerful stuff here. Uh, and the woman, her glory is a man. So the reason, not just, we, we, further on we have that because, as it, my Spanish version reads, because of the angels, a woman should have uh, 
a sign of authority upon her head, and that's why her hair is covered. The, the, the covering is representing in, in, in the spiritual world, in the kingdom of God, that the woman is in her rightful place. That's what she's stating with covering her. But she's also covering her glory because her, the glory of the woman is man, and, and man, is, his glory is not to be revealed, but it's to be veiled. But, uh, my glory, and I think there's deeper things in that too. I think uh, my wife's hair is glorious, and that is for me. It's not for anyone else, and so for that reason, her hair should be covered. And I personally have conviction, and I'll just throw it out for whatever it's worth. I don't want to create issues with this, but I feel like it should not be a transparent covering, but it should be a covering that is that covers. Uh, I've, I've had that conviction for for many years, my wife has also, because it's a glory covering. It, it, that glory should be covered in a way that it is covered and not that it is uh, somewhat transparent. And so that, I'll just throw that out for what it's worth, and you can think on that yourself. I'm not suggesting anyone should change where they're at in that, but that's where I'm at personally. I, I feel like as a church, we have focused so much on this and, and the responsibility be, between here and maybe here some, and we have maybe somewhat neglected to look at this one clearly. And that's what I want to do this morning, and, and I trust you can follow me, understand what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing, first of all, here, uh, and the need that's here. We're talking about relationship, and I want... I want for us to understand this morning that for us to understand how this relationship should work both down and up, and this one should work both down and up, we look at how this one works. The relationship between God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is our example. That is my head. That is the example that I am called to represent here. We can gather that. Because I am here as the image of Christ. When I am in my home, and if I have any other responsibilities and authority, I am here to represent the image of Christ, which is, I have on this side, it's basically about the same. I have image here and I have reflection here. And there's really not much difference. Uh, the image that I'm giving to my wife and to my children is the reflection that they have of Christ. Can, you, can we grasp that this morning? And, and Christ was the image of the Father. And I'm, I'm very, very soon we're going to get into that. But before we do that, I want to show you a precious passage. I think uh, my wife and my family knows this one's precious to me because I go there often. But I would like to spend an hour on this passage, but we're going to spend a couple minutes. It's 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. We're talking about relationships. And there's something precious here that, that I, I want for us to just briefly look at, and I wish we could look at it for longer. First John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, 
for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So what we have here is something already existed in the beginning. There was life there. There was a relationship. There was fellowship. There was, there was a back and forth relating to one another in the beginning, and we know what it was. It was the Father, it was the Word, and it was the Spirit. There's three beings that were, for we can say in our terminology, for millions of years relating to each other without ever having a disagreement, an argument, or, or a, a need for, for dissension or whatever. It just, that is eternal life. And that is the eternal life that Jesus revealed to the Apostle John. And the Apostle John is saying that that life is something that now is available to us. This fellowship that existed here for millions of years is now made available that it can come down on down the line. Can we grasp that this morning? Powerful stuff. That's what life is. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. He wasn't talking about more quantity of life. He was talking about quality of life. The type of life that he came and showed and how he related to his Father is the type of life he made available to us and expects us to get a hold of it and live it in our lives. And that's just what makes me bow in humility and say, Lord, help me, because there's still a lot lacking. Image, a powerful word. We have that word here. That word we have here in our text at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. The man is the image of his head, which is Christ. What does that mean? Well, what does it mean here? Let's go to John chapter 14. Verse 8, John 14, 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Hast thou? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. What Jesus is telling Philip here, if you have seen me these three and a half years that you walk with me, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now apply that to this. Colossians 1.15. Beautiful verses here. High lofty. 
This is talking about Christ, and here again, I'm just getting a snatch out of this beautiful portion here. Colossians 1.15, talking about Christ, says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Jesus is, and I think that that mirror that he reflected of the Father did not have any flaws. Sometimes you have mirrors that give a little bit of ripples or something, or you can have weird mirrors that have an oval shape that give make you look real wide and short and stuff. No, this this mirror was perfect. It, it, the mirror, what Christ mirrored and he walked on this earth of the Father was a perfect image. Perfect image. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. This one I think is more reve- revealing yet than, than Colossians. Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. says it this way, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the, the glory, the, the life, the power, the, the beauty, the Christ was the express image of the Father when he walked on this earth. That's what scripture tells us. Now, let's look at this one and see what the scripture has to say. And this I would maybe look at this side because reflecting back, uh, back the man is to reflect back to Christ, the image that he gets. And I, I've said this just yesterday. This thought came to me. We reflect the image of the God we serve. We reflect the image of the God we serve. And these people, that's why idol worship so bad. They have these ugly, awful idols and. And they do terrible things. Children putting that, their, I mean, fathers putting their children in the arms of this idol to be sacrificed and burnt in a fire. There's a king, one of the kings of, of Judah actually did that. And, and there's, I, I know a lot about idol worship and, and how demanding those ugly demons are and how they require their um, subjects to, to worship them. It's ugly, it's awful, but we represent the image of the God that we worship. See if I can get myself together here. Okay, we have First Corinthians eleven eight, and that's a key verse or eleven seven, sorry where the man is the image of the glory of Christ, okay? Now we go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. This morning we talked about God ordaining the circumstances that puts us in a situation, this is in Sunday school class, the need to forgive. God in his sovereignty allows these things, and there's a purpose for it, and the scripture tells us clearly what that purpose is. Romans 
I'm going to read verse 28 just to get the context a little bit here. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the reason that these difficult things come into our lives is that he wants to conform us into the image of his son. Let's apply that in our home. God, his plan is that I would be a representation of the image of Christ in my home. Colossians 3.10. Here again, I'm breaking in the middle of something, but uh, I want to make the point here, and we can't spend a lot of time here. Colossians 3.10. And have put on a new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And we get that. The new man is reflecting the one that created us, the new man in Christ. And that is what I am to reflect on down the line in the home. The image of the one that created me. This is not my idea. This is what Scripture tells us we're to be. Second Corinthians 3.18. There's one more verse. This is a powerful one. It says, But we all, with open face, beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here I am, peering into this glorious being of Christ. And as I do that, it's like Moses up on Sinai. He came down, you know what it was? The glory of God was on his face. So for this thing to work, for this thing to work down here, I need to know how to, how to receive from here. And Christ has done, we're going to look at some of that, Christ has done all that he needs to do so that this can work for me. He really has. Now let's see if we can handle this one. Husbands, your wives are a reflection of your leadership. Maybe not a whole lot the day you say, I do. But after five, after 10, after 20, after 29 years, she is a reflection of my leadership. So here we have this reflection. Sometimes in, in ministry, as, as someone that has responsibility, it's our responsibility to deal with needs in someone else's home, and it's difficult. And it's a very sensitive thing to need to speak into someone else about how, especially how they are or not uh, fulfilling, fulfilling their role in the home, especially as a father. 
my children are part of me. And what you see in my children is a reflection of my leadership. Is that true or false? And so it can be a touchy thing because I know I failed and it's sometimes difficult for me to hear it from someone else that I am failing or have failed. It's a touchy thing. And so one bishop that I appreciate much, he said there's two subjects that are very difficult and very touchy. He said one is touching people's pocketbooks and the other is touching their children. And there's a reason for that. It's because of what we see here, I think. Danny Keniston, I, I never heard him preach in person, but I listened to some of the cassettes. He preached a message I heard years ago, and I'd, I'd like to hear it again because maybe I could understand it better now. He said, the title of the message was, A Godly Man Will Have a Radiant Wife. A Godly Man Will Have a Radiant Wife. And I know that women, and we want to talk about that just a little bit, women have choices to make when there is not situation. But I know in part that when my wife is radiant, I have somewhat to do with it. And when she's not, sometimes I have a lot to do with it. <laughs> you know, that's a challenge for us. But, but we say, okay, I got to shape up. But we, we've got to receive it from here. If, if we have a, a, a vital relationship working here, then, then it'll work on down. And if we don't, we can beat our heads against the wall and try to make this thing work however, and it, it's going to be a struggle. So if I'm struggling, I, I need to get it. That, that image, as I behold with an open face the glory of the Lord, and I'm changed into his image from glory to glory through the spirit that is dwelling in me and amongst us. Beautiful. One of, one of the things that, you know, we, we work with evangelistic work, people respond, and you find bitter children. You will almost always find one of the main causes of that bitterness is bitterness towards their father. Almost always. Maybe not completely, but almost always. And if you dig into it deeper, you realize maybe there was some serious deficiencies right here. And it can be down here too. And I, I, I was thinking of doing this, and maybe I will, just to, to make a point here. I can reach it from here. Maybe I'll have to come around. Not sure if I have that word right. I think it's the word. That's what I wanted to say. What happens when you have that passivity? A passive husband, a passive father. And many fathers can say, Well, I don't I'm not I don't hate my children, I don't hate my wife. But that that's one of our bigger struggles as men, I think, is being passive. 
neither here nor there, not being engaged, not stepping in when we need to, not taking responsibility, and we're, we're getting to that one a little later. And I, I don't want to leave that there. That's not a good thing to leave there. And I could leave it blank too. That that's not don't work real good either. So that I trust you sense of burden I have here this morning. The the key here. I mean, yesterday I had put in green the key here, and I took it off again, and I'm not sure if I should have left it on or not. Even if this, uh, we were uh, dealing with uh, several different situations where I've been involved, where where the man in in several situations I know of, he he's he knows the Bible, he's very insistent, he's got he's got his wife under his thumb, and she, and he he could throw Bible verses at her, and and he's just living a terrible life. He's living in adultery. He's living. A, a drunkard's life, and yet he's demanding his woman respect him and, and, and be in her place. And in and, and those situations, I think in both of them, the key there is that the woman is still responding as if it were to Christ. That's how the scripture would teach it, even though he's not in his place. She respects him as far as she can. She can't sin if he demands that she sin. She can't do that. But she can still honor him. She can still respect him. And by doing that, you see in amazement that the children follow her example. Maybe not always, but, but it often works that way. And so just because a man, and every one of you as wives could say, well, my husband, and you could find many things to pick your husband apart, I'm sure. Uh, I know my wife could. But that does not excuse a woman from being in her place. It does not. So we want to look at a little more in detail some of this. And here again, I'd like to, in a lot of these situations, look at, first of all, how this worked to understand how the rest of it should work, if that makes sense. How, how the Father related to Christ and how Christ related to the Father. Uh, maybe we'll start with uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And this, this, just as I was studying, this has been somewhat revolutionary for me how I should be as a father and as a husband. This is how, how the father related to his son. This was in Matthew 3.17, right after the baptism. And I think that Christ, Jesus, and John the Baptist probably were the only ones that witnessed this. And it says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if I can do that same thing that, Christ, uh, that, that the Father did to his Son, and I know Christ has done that to me, if I can do that here and do it here, how much easier it makes for them. This is my beloved wife, whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. If they can hear those words, how beautiful it is for them. And they need to. And I have grew up in a culture where that is not practiced and it does not come easy for me. But that's what the father did for his son. And, and there's a second time. This time it was uh, Peter, James, and John. That's Matthew 17. 
in the verse uh, is 15, if I have it. Matthew 17, no, it's not, it's verse 5. 17, 5, Matthew 17, 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Again, the Father speaking to his Son, and, and there was three other witnesses there, or maybe five. I know Moses and Elijah were appeared on the scene too. I don't know exactly what all took place there. But again, just that Christ hearing that confirmation of his Father's blessing, his love, his appreciation. Let's look at this word right here, authority. And we could look in a dictionary and probably say the right to rule, the right to, to, give, to, to give commands, and it is that, but it, it goes much deeper if we look at what Christ was. Uh, where do we start here? Let's start in Luke chapter 7. And here, briefly, we look at the situation where the centurion had a servant that was very sick, and he went to Christ. I think I'll, I'll read verses 4 on down to, to word, verse 8, maybe. Luke 7, 4. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he's worthy of this. This is the request of, of the centurion that his had a sick servant, that he should do this. For he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not, now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority. I have Having under me soldiers, I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. I think I should read verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and turned to him about, and said unto the people that followed him, uh, Say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The centurion was uh, a pagan man, I could say. I trust he wasn't because of the way he lived, but who would understand him to be Roman pagan, The reason that this centurion could command soldiers to do what he told them was because he had the whole backing of the Roman Empire behind him. And he knew that if some soldier did not obey him, there's going to be backing from back there. Then he said, I also am a man under authority. What's he saying? He's saying that he understands that Jesus was under authority, and that's why he had the power to do what he did. He had have the power to command, even without Christ ever coming to his house, he would have the power to command that his servant would be healed. And he did. And the reason Jesus did was because he was under the authority of his Father. This morning was a question about when Joseph had forgiven his brothers, and we concluded that he could not have the 
had the power that he had in Potiphar's house if he wouldn't have already taken care of that. God's blessing was in his life. So we need to be under authority. We're under authority. And this, this Christ, we could put other authorities in there too. Under Christ, we're under uh, civil authorities. Under Christ, we're under church authorities. Under Christ, we're under parents' authorities. Under Christ, we're under uh, employers' authority. And if we want the power of God to, to be able to carry this on down through, then we need to make sure that we're under authority. And there's some more verses. Maybe I'll look at just one of them. There's a number we could look at, looking at the life of Christ. Uh, John verses 5, I think I'll look at verses 5. Uh, John 5, verses 19 and, and 30. John, John chapter 5, verse 19. says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Do, Do these verses grab us? Do we see what Jesus say? Jesus saying the reason that I, with complete authority, can can require these things and can teach these things, and is because because the Father is backing me up. It's really His will that I'm carrying out. And in a home, if I take my son into a room and give him a hard spanking, it's because God has ordained that authority to me. And if I don't carry it out, then I'm, I'm in passivity. I'm not fulfilling my role. I see in Christ, Christ in his leadership was not a dictator. People chose to follow Christ. And I know that my wife is obligated to follow my leadership, and my children are too. But that does not give me a right to be a dictator. That does not give me the right to insist she do things that perhaps I myself am, am failing in. It, it's through example and through love and through... Uh, patience... That's how Christ related to his, his disciples. That's how I'm to relate to my wife. That's how I'm to relate to my children. Not that I let things go, no. But that I do it under those conditions. I have absolutely no right to exercise authority unless it's done under my head. And the same with, with, uh, the women, the mothers, as they relate to their children. What a terrible devastation. And, and I had confessed this morning in a Sunday school class, I've been guilty of this. When we take our children in anger and frustration, we're done, we're, we're fed up, this is enough. And we, in anger, we take them and just beat them. 
way outside of our authority when we do that. And if, if that happens, we need to repent. And these, I, I didn't necessarily take time to maybe organize them that I should, and we could look at responsibility next. These two we cannot really separate. Someone had made a statement one time and made me think. He said, we have been given the responsibility of this work without having the authority. If you've been given the responsibility, you have the authority, okay? If you have, if you have authority, you have responsibility. And it's not about not so much about who has the right to rule, but who's responsible to take care of it. Okay? There's a big difference between the two. I have the right to rule. I'm the bishop here. I do what I say. I'm, I'm the father in his home. No. It's not the right to rule. I mean, yes, it is. But in my mind, it's the responsibility to take care of it. And one is done out of servanthood, one is done out of love, and the other is done out of, okay, I'm the boss here. And Christ, show me one time when Christ did that. Okay, I'm the boss here. So, your wife isn't perfect. Whose fault is it? Whose responsibility is it? See, that's when I get still and get frustrated with my wife and blame her for struggles we're having. Well, I'm responsible if she's struggling with something. I am. Situation where there's some struggles in a home, especially with children that are maybe not responding quite like they should. And some pretty strong blame has been put on other people aside from the one that is responsible. And I had to say, listen, you think this and this is the problem in your home, but brother, you are responsible. And there could be others. I know school teachers, and I know church leaders, and I know there can be a list of things. And maybe they have some fault in it, but you are responsible. We could look at glory, and it's hard to separate these two because our Christ is a glorious Christ, and I'm, I'm to reflect his glory. So this glory is reflected back up. But this glory also needs to reflect it down on this side. As I'm responsible, I'm responsible to reflect the glory of Christ in, in my home and in my administration. There's a, a powerful verse, and I, I struggle with grasping the meaning of it. I'm not going to ask you to turn to it because I know we're, we're running long enough here. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages 
and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would have would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope of glory I have to reveal for my life is not for myself. I'm the moon. The moon does not have glory. The moon is just simply reflecting the glory of the sun. And it can be a worshipful experience to go out in a full moon in a very clear evening and just see how that moon is just lighting up almost like daytime sometimes. That's our reflection of Christ in, in, in our home. And wives, you need to do it to your children too. Reflect the glory of Christ in your home. And Christ did that. Maybe, maybe I'll take just the time to look at one verse in the high priestly prayer, we call it, John 17. There's several verses here. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, and thy Son also, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, which the with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Christ here, his job was to reflect the glory of the Father. And that glory was reflected right back up to the Father again. So our job here is to reflect the glory of Christ. And as we do that all down through, that glory is reflected back up and we can have a glorious home because God is working in it and he's given his rightful place in our home. A glorious home. And the only hope of glory we have is Christ in us, the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling and taking over, taking control of our lives. And as that happens, then that glory is going to come out. It's not ours, it's Christ. In my representing here, I'm worshiping God, I'm praying to him. My head is uncovered, my hair is short because I am representing the glory of Christ. My wife has long hair and she's got it covered because she's representing my glory. There's one other one I have here, and I struggle with that uh, because, well, it's, it's, a, it's a deep thing. Ephesians 5, verses 25, 27. says this, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be whole and without blemish. So here we have Christ, and I was thinking of going to... to um, Isaiah 53, where it talks about how Christ gave himself for our redemption. And the love, in 1 John 4, 11, the love of Christ was manifested in the work that was done on the cross. What was in it for Christ? The work on the cross, what was in it for Christ? Absolutely nothing. What was in it for me? Absolutely everything. 
Yes. Husbands, love your wives that way. Love, love of the Father. And, and we could look at verses there. In John 17, Jesus talked about the love that the Father had for him. And that love is for us also. But if that love is transmitted from here to here, absolutely without doubt, it's going to be translated from here to here. Husbands, give yourself for your wives that you might sanctify and cleanse them with the washing of the water of the word, that you might present unto yourself a glorious wife, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, or that, or that she should be holding without blemish. Did I misquote something here? But it works that way. So that's a tremendous responsibility. And I, I just, this morning as I was preparing agape love, that's an unconditional love. Again, we just gaze at Christ and, and just meditate and just realize just what he did. Can we grasp it? Are we deep enough? Are we too shallow to grasp the love that was displayed there on the cross for me? Unconditional love. Is my love, I'm talking now about conditional love, is my love based on the behavior or performance of the object of my love, my wife or my children? Do I extend or retain my love based on their behavior or their performance? I know it's easy for me to do that. Is it necessary for them to change before I can truly extend my love to them? Is that how Christ related to us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross. Another question. This I got out of a book that's powerful to me. It's uh, I can get it now. I didn't write it down. Love Life for Every Couple by Ed Wheat. Tremendous book. It's a book. Ed Wheat's long gone, but it's a tremendous book. He wrote some things on, on the unconditional love. This question, can I improve my partner or my children's behavior by withholding love? We tend to think that way, maybe. Unconditional love. Agape love is action, not just attitude. There, there's uh, like the phileo love where it's more emotions, but this is choices. Agape love is choices. It's, it, it includes attitudes, I'm sure, but it's not just attitude, it's action. Christ hanging on the cross, that's action. Agape love gives what is needed, no matter how costly it may be. Agape love gives what is needed, no matter how costly it may be. And here we have Christ again, how he gave himself because he loved the church. Beautiful example. So here we have it. Uh, there, I think we kind of ran through it, and we didn't even read Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, but children are to honor their parents, and fathers 
are to um, bring up the children in the nurture. That word nurture is discipline. That's in, in Hebrews 12, that same Greek word is translated discipline. Fathers are to bring up their children in the discipline and admonition or teaching of the Lord. Tremendous responsibility. Shall we kneel for prayer?